Hello, and welcome to Capital Cast, a regular podcast of Capital News Illinois. I'm Jerry Nowicki, and this is my one-on-one interview with Governor J.B. Pritzker. After announcing his re-election bid Monday, the governor spent Tuesday meeting with political media in Chicago and Wednesday talking to news outlets in Springfield to set the stage for his re-election bid. Now, it turns out I was the last reporter to meet with the governor in this two-day stint, so I had a day to read the coverage of his re-election agenda and watch the TV coverage of some of his other comments. Unsurprisingly, the governor touted such successes as the Rebuild Illinois Capital Infrastructure Plan, the passage of a minimum wage hike, and Illinois' two credit ratings upgrades in the Tuesday interviews. For his potential second-term agenda, he told Crane Chicago Business, the Chicago Tribune, and other outlets that making college more affordable would be a priority, especially for families in the medium income range of about sixty-three dollars to $64,000 a year. Having read all the coverage and watched the videos of other news outlets that broadly covered the governor's re-election announcement, I jotted down some follow-ups on his responses to others' reporting and came up with some questions about ongoing policy issues that are going to have to be decided during the remainder of his first term. That includes a major deficit in the Unemployment Trust Fund, the ongoing pandemic, ever-growing pension pressures, and an energy bill that's before the General Assembly. I chose these topics because they were things I've been thinking about while covering the State House, and getting a direct, on-the-record response from the governor is a lot more effective than relying on statements from spokespeople. Plus, what happens next legislative session will end up playing a major role in whether the voters decide to give the governor another term. So to set the stage for my first question, I'll note that the deficit in the Unemployment Trust Fund sits at about $4.2 billion right now which essentially means the state has borrowed that much from the federal government. The trust fund is the pool of money that funds unemployment claims, and as of last week, about 200,000 people remained on unemployment in the state. That's still a historically high number, even as we reopen. So the trust fund is essentially paid into by businesses via payroll taxes that serve as insurance premiums. It's normally self-sustaining, except in times of high unemployment. When a deficit like the one the fund is facing now arises, the only way to pare it down is increasing the premium on employers, decreasing the benefits for unemployed individuals, or using state, federal, or other private funding to fill the hole. Last week, business groups called on the governor to reinstate more stringent work search requirements for those currently receiving unemployment benefits. They want him to end extra federal benefits earlier than a September expiration that includes an added $300 per month payment. And they want the governor to use American Rescue Plan Act funding, of which the state has about $5 billion remaining, to pay down the trust fund deficit. So here's what the governor had to say on that topic, and I will note that later I will have an important clarifier on his answer to my question on the American Rescue Plan funds. So I wanted to start with the Unemployment Trust Fund. As you know, the deficit's 4.2 to 5 billion. Just last week, uh, 200,000 unemployment weeks were claimed. So the, the business groups are saying, you know, we need to fully reinstate the work search requirements to the same stringency as before the pandemic. Is there a timeline for getting those back in order and anything else you're looking at right now to 
expedite getting people back to work and alleviating pressures on the system? Oh, we've been doing quite a lot to get people back to work, as you probably know. Uh, the biggest thing that's keeping uh, many people from getting back to work is the fact that they have to handle child care. Uh, sometimes it's senior care. People who stepped out of their jobs because they needed to take care of somebody at home. Uh, and so we've expanded massively the availability of child care, particularly for those uh, up to $60,000 in earnings. People, um, we now have available to people a dollar a month uh, child care. That's for people who are um, who are at the poverty level and up to 250% of poverty level. People being able to pay only 7% of their earnings. Um, so that's a significant uh, move forward to help people get back to work. Uh, and then, you know, overall, our unemployment trust fund, uh, while it's at about, as you said, a 4.2 to $4.3 billion deficit, uh, that's something I went to Washington, talked to the folks in the White House about, including the president, uh, to see what we can do to be, because we're not the only state that's facing this. I know that uh, sometimes reporters in Illinois have not covered the fact that all across the nation, there are states that have billions of dollars of deficits in their uh, trust funds. We had a crisis, for goodness sakes, and an awful lot of people have been unemployed. Uh, and so there's you know, roughly 55 or $60 billion of unemployment deficit across the right. state, across the country, rather. So uh, we're going to continue to work on it for the state of Illinois and make sure we whittle that down as best we can. So that's between 17 or 18 states, though. So I'm not sure the federal government would. Do you think they'll target uh, relief to just those states? or? Well, we're talking about it. Um, some of this has to do with whether or not there could be legislation that passes. Some of this is really changes in the rules uh, that could be made. Uh, certainly, if we could extend the due date of the trust fund deficit to the federal government, that might be of assistance to us. So we're looking at everything that's available to us because you know all of us have the same goal, right? Which is to get that deficit down without it being a burden to businesses or to workers. So is there a timeline for work search requirements? Uh, Still, you know, the IDES can answer that better for you. I mean, they're working on the timeline. Okay. Um, speaking of IDES, you know, they said come January, it's going to be, I think. If the trust fund deficit holds out, there's going to they're going to have to reduce benefits by three percent and reduce benefit periods by two weeks, and then employers are going to see their uh, substantial increases to their premium rates. That's not what IDES is saying. That is, um, as you know, there is a committee of folks both in labor and business that are talking about how you might overcome this. IDS may be reflecting what they're saying. but Well, in but, January, they said the speed bumps are going to kick in that are already in Illinois law. Right. But the question is, where will we be based upon the support that we may get from the federal government and the reduction of the number of people who are on unemployment? So we'll have to see where that ends up. Assuming that doesn't come, is it going to become essentially imperative to use ARPA funds to pay that down? You can't actually use ARPA funds. According to the rules of ARPA, you can't repay any debt uh, that's already owed to the federal government um, with ARPA funds. So um, so there you know, may be other ways for us to address this, but at least right now, according to the rules of ARPA, we, again, maybe the rules can change, and that's a regulatory question for the uh, Department of Treasury, but uh, under the law that was passed and the rules as they have followed that law, we're not currently able to pay down uh, directly with the use of ARPA funds. Okay. 
um, I thought there was guidance otherwise, but you'd probably know better than I would. Well, you may recall that we had hoped, I mean, just to give you some background on it, we had hoped when we were trying to repay the MLF, right, that since we didn't need the borrowing that we took uh, down from the federal government, we ultimately didn't need, we wanted to pay it back. Uh, the, as ARPA was coming in, it was our belief that we would be able to pay back the federal government directly, actually the Fed directly, with those ARPA funds. But actually it's prohibited under the law that was passed that uh, authorized ARPA. So first let me back up for a second and address some of the acronyms we use there. ARPA stands for the American Rescue Plan Act funding, which was the law signed by President Biden giving Illinois about $8 billion to spend on pandemic response. MLF is Municipal Liquidity Facility, which was the line of borrowing open to states by the federal government at the height of the pandemic. While the governor was correct that MLF borrowing was not an eligible expense for ARPA funds, he was not correct about the Unemployment Trust Fund. So I pulled up the interim final guidance from the Federal Register. It's dated Monday, May 17th, Volume 86, Number 93. It has 39 pages of guidance on the American Rescue Plan funds. And on page 9, it specifically addresses the state unemployment insurance trust funds. It says recipients may make deposits into the state account of the unemployment trust fund up to the level needed to restore the pre-pandemic balances of such account as of January 7, 2020, or to pay back advances received under Title 12 of the Social Security Act. They said that's permissible given the close nexus between unemployment trust fund costs, solvency of unemployment trust fund systems, and pandemic economic impacts. Again, I quote, Further, Unemployment trust fund deposits can decrease fiscal strain on unemployment insurance systems impacted by the pandemic. States facing a sharp increase in unemployment insurance claims during the pandemic may have drawn down positive unemployment trust fund balances and, after exhausting the balance, required advances to fund continuing obligations to claimants. Because both of these impacts were driven directly by the need for assistance to unemployed workers during the pandemic, replenishing unemployment trust funds up to the pre-pandemic level responds to the pandemic's negative economic impacts on unemployed workers. I also found an Associated Press article from May 27th which showed that at least 29 states have already transferred or proposed to use a total of more than $12 billion of federal coronavirus aid for their unemployment trust funds. So the reason this story is so important, and the reason I keep following it, is because it has the potential to raise taxes on businesses and cut benefits for people on unemployment in the hundreds of millions of dollars. While seeking further federal aid is certainly a reasonable approach for the governor, he appeared not to know Wednesday that this was a permissible use of American Rescue Plan Act funds, despite the frequent calls from businesses and even some members of his own party to consider this as an approach to paying down the deficit. Now, I did send a clarifying email to the governor's office on Wednesday night and Thursday, and on Thursday afternoon they responded saying the governor has had a productive conversation with President Biden and federal partners about a federal solution to the national challenges facing unemployment trust funds. Uh, and the administration looks forward to a solution that works for both businesses and the Illinoisans who rely on the vital programs, but the statement did not directly respond uh, to the governor's comments on the American Rescue Plan funding. I'll continue to await an answer as to whether the governor considers the use of ARPA funds, given the fact that their use is permissible, 
and we'll post that to CapitalNewsIllinois.com when we find more. But I only had 10 minutes with the governor, so after that exchange, I moved on to other topics. Annually, the state's pension obligations make up roughly a quarter of the state's general revenue fund spending, roughly $9 billion, a little bit more. While the governor rightly touts the importance of the state's recent credit upgrades, the agencies that gave those credit upgrades warned of ongoing pension pressures. At issue is what's called the Edgar Ramp, which is the 1994 law signed by Republican Governor Jim Edgar that set the pension payment schedule at a rate aimed at funding 90% of the state's pension liabilities by 2045. The payments were very low in Edgar's time, which is why they are so large now. Here's what the governor had to say on pensions and state revenues. So looking at the state's pension payments um, in Moody's, I know it was a big deal for Illinois when we got the credit upgrade, but they also said, uh, quote, it, uh, the pension payments are routinely shortchanged under the state's funding statute. Uh, pension liabilities could exert growing pressure as federal support dissipates barring significant revenue increases or other fiscal changes. Since 90, 1995 and the Edgar Ramp was passed, right, the, the people who don't like the fact that Edgar Ramp is focused on funding to 90%, people use the language that you just cited from Moody's because they'd like the ramp to be to 100%, right? And so, but, but we have been paying down the... Uh, uh, the amount that's owed to our pensions according to the statute uh, and did that over the last three years consistently. We've been working hard to expand the buyouts uh, for those who are uh, retiring. Uh, those have expanded uh, significantly. We now have about $1.4 billion of savings for the taxpayers um, and there'll be more coming. Uh, and so, you know, that the challenge that we find, I think Moody's and the other credit rating agencies recognize, though, that Illinois is doing so much better at paying its bills. They also are pointing out the things that we continue to need to work on. Uh, but balancing the budget is ultimately the right thing to do. Paying down uh, what we owe on pensions, the right thing to do. And as you've seen, since my predecessor was in office and there was a $17 billion bill backlog, we now have a no bill backlog. We're below $3 billion, below 30 days, and so we're down to simple accounts payable. Right, so um, the thing I, you know, we all see in here is barring significant revenue increases. So, I mean, is, is there on the table right now anything you're considering in terms of increasing revenue, changes to the tax code, like, like as you would say, loopholes? Uh, we made significant progress, as you know, uh, during this last session. $655 million of corporate welfare cuts, uh, and that helped us balance the budget. Uh, it's helped to demonstrate to the credit rating agencies and the rest of the world that Illinois knows how to get at the structural deficit. Those are dollars associated with the structural deficit facing our right. state. And that's been something, as you know, that I've been significantly focused on. It also has allowed us to make a, the tax system fairer, also something that I care deeply about. I want to lower taxes on the middle class and people striving to get there and uh, shifting dollars uh, by uh, cutting corporate welfare and moving it into 
education dollars, into early childhood education, into the services for the most vulnerable, those are ways that we're making the tax system fairer. So we don't know how the economy is going to respond as this extra $300 expires in September. What uh, specific uh, revenue avenues might you explore in the upcoming uh, session and your, if you gain another term? I'm not focused on any, I mean, you're asking me if there are, are uh, new revenues that you know people are considering. Um, what I'm considering is growing our economy, and growing our economy means that we'll have greater revenues coming into the state. That means more tax, sales tax revenue, income tax revenue, both on a personal basis and a corporate basis. From there, we moved on to the pandemic. The governor had a conversation Tuesday with Marianne Ahern at NBC5 News in Chicago, and I wanted to follow up on it. So I asked if there are any metrics I should be watching right now to determine whether mitigations might be tripped at any point in response to the COVID-19 pandemic. I also touched on a topic that the governor has denied a number of times, the potential of requiring vaccine passports or proof of vaccination in any circumstance. I was well aware of his previous opposition on the topic, but given his comments in our conversation that the current pandemic surge is largely attributable to unvaccinated individuals, I wanted to see if his thinking on the topic had changed. Okay, so uh, yesterday I watched your interview with Marianne from NBC Chicago. You said ICU beds, hospitalizations are a number you're watching. You know, you're previously your pandemic response. I watch the numbers every day. I've always been able to look and see, oh, if this gets any higher, we're going to see mitigations. Is there a number I should be watching right now in which mitigations would be triggered? We're constantly keeping track of this, to be clear. Um, and the th I was just pointing out to her in answer to her question, you know, what the things are that I'm more sensitive to versus less. The number one thing is it's, it's what the medical professionals are advising us, right, which is to focus on hospitalizations and focus on ICU beds. Uh, but what I can tell you is getting people vaccinated is the most important thing we can do right now. Encouraging people to wear masks when they're indoors in crowded areas, uh, encouraging children who are under 12 to wear masks when they go to school and ask parents to have them wear masks when they go to school. But unvaccinated people make up 99% of all the deaths that are occurring in the state of Illinois, unvaccinated people. If we can get people to want to get vaccinated, incentivize people to get vaccinated, that's the best way we can save lives and keep people healthy. So is it possible that future rounds of mitigations would require proof of vaccinations? Because as you said, that those are the people who are, who are dying. So is there any circumstance where there'd be, I don't know, a vaccine passport or any of that? I'm, I know you've denied that before, but moving forward. We're constantly looking at what we need to get done, right, the mitigations that are necessary. But right now, that's not something we're focused on. What we're really focused on right now, again, is making sure people get tested, making sure that they've got vaccine testing and vaccines are widely available. People need to utilize them. Finally, as I got the last question warning from the governor's staff, I blurted out a question regarding a wide-ranging energy regulatory reform bill that would invest in renewables and nuclear and phase-out fossil fuels in the next 25 years. It was a major campaign issue for the governor in his first term, but it stalled in the General Assembly in his first three years. Okay. Uh, what's the holdup with energy bill, and does it weaken your re-election chances if it does not pass? Oh, no. I, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I will say that I, I've fought hard to make sure that we have. This is a 
not only you call it an energy bill, it's also a climate bill. Um, and it, it, there are lots of sides to this. People think there are two sides. There are lots of sides to this that we had to bring together and think about all that we've already gotten uh, organized in this legislation that's actually, uh, I think, widely accepted, making sure that we're keeping our nuclear plants open, making sure that we're uh, preserving the jobs associated with that, uh, making sure that our uh, the polluting plants that are in the state of Illinois are able to stay open until 2045. But if, uh, if making it, sure that we're uh, reducing the risk to people's health across the state by virtue of uh, moving toward a clean energy and a renewable energy economy. But if it doesn't pass, none of that happens. So that's right. What's so we want to get it passed. Right yeah. Well, legislators who don't want to vote for it yet, um, who may not understand uh, uh, that, you know, uh, 24 years from now is when uh, those coal plants might close. Uh, 24 years from now, and uh, you know, I hope that people understand that you know what we're trying to do is preserve jobs and preserve our environment at the same time. So, is the graduated cap um, is that out of the question then? If they're going for 24 years, a graduated cap on uh, reductions? Again, this is uh, before the legislature to make some decisions. You know, they understand what our uh, principles are. I've been clear about that since a year ago. Uh, and we've followed those principles all along within the energy bill. So I'm hopeful that, that the legislature will be able to get something passed and I'll be able to sign it. So those were all the questions I was able to ask in my 10 minutes with the governor. I had more written down regarding the state's role in addressing rising violent crime in the state's larger cities, as well as future plans for remaining federal funds, but I ran out of time. So I'm Jerry Nowicki, who you just heard speaking with Governor J.B. Pritzker. That's it for the latest episode of Capital Cast, a regular podcast of Capital News Illinois. We're a nonpartisan, nonprofit statehouse reporting project funded by the McCormick Foundation and the Illinois Press Foundation. View more of our statehouse coverage at capitalnewsillinois.com. That's capital with an O.